Hi guys and welcome to episode 10 of the Northern Rugby Podcast. Joining us today is Matthew Tate, former England international. He also represented Newcastle Falcons, Seal Sharks and Leicester Tigers at club level. Matt's going to chat us through what it's like to debut at a ridiculously young age, his thoughts on his infamous England debut against Wales and how he now reflects in that game. He's also going to tell us about his 2007 Rugby World Cup experience where England nearly overturned South Africa in the final. Matt also chats to us about his club career, starting out as a fresh-faced teenager with the Falcons before leaving for an injury hit spell at Seal. Matt rediscovered his former and reinvigorated himself after he moved to Leicester Tigers, where he won the 2013 Premiership title and lifted the 2017 anglo Welsh Cup as captain. An accomplished Sevens player as well, Matt discusses his time on the England Sevens circuit, culminating in a trip to the Commonwealth Games. A very interesting chat, so let's hear what Matt had to say. Hello, hey, Matthew. Are you all right? Can you hear me all right? Yep, yep, I can hear you fine. How's things? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Just uh, staring at screens at the little office in the garden, so I'm yeah, trying to finish off a couple of bits on a PowerPoint. Really exciting stuff. Excellent. How's the uh, how's the badness of twenty twenty been treating you? <laughs> um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been interesting to be honest. So yeah, my, my wife's got uh, a soft furnishings business as well, um, and I started a placement role kind of in March. It's just before everything, by end of Feb, March, just before everything kind of kicked off, um, which I'm, I'm still still trying to trying to do. Um, so that alongside homeschooling has been interesting to say the least um certainly over those yeah, march to whenever it was september period when the, the kids were all off was yeah difficult and uh, we were very lucky we've got a bit of outdoor space and what have you so i can't imagine what it's been like for the poor people that have been yeah, trapped in flats or not yeah, the opportunity. Uh, I, I don't feel mm-hmm. sorry for the uh, for the parents at all yeah, have you got your, your no, kids no. yourself? No, no kids for me. It's just me and the wife and the two dogs at the minute, so it's been uh, it's been manageable. Yes, it's. Uh, I'm just hoping we don't go into another bloody. Well, it looks like we're going to some form of lockdown anyway. But uh, as long as the kids stay at school, I think we'll keep my sanity. Fingers crossed. But uh, yeah. thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. It's always nice to have a uh, ex ex Falcons with us. I know, yeah, XX now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, typically, it's just a, a you know, I look back over your career, nice and nice and mellow. So, just um, to take us back to the kind of school days, and, and you know, at what point did you realise that you could actually make a career out of being a rugby player? Oh, I'll, take, I'll, I'll go back a bit further than that. So, my uh, sort of how myself and obviously you'll know Alec up at the Falcons, um, we got into rugby as a friend of mine primary school actually just remember his name Billy Hawes his dad was called Roger Hawes and they lived in the Satley area and he was a coach over at Concert so Concert was my my first junior club and we yeah we went there from been I must be seven or eight maybe something like that um, and that was kind of how it all started out and playing on the local kind of club circuit against the likes of Wrighton and Bladen and Houghton I'm sure Houghton Spoons on there because it wasn't I certainly remember playing against Wrighton and Gateshead Fell and people like that mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, the, we both we both ended up at uh, Barney for, for our secondary school um, and we're just kind of just really lucky that there was a amazing rugby programme there I think that was one of the kind of main reasons mum and dad wanted us to go to Barney was the was outside of the academic side of things was the, the kind of sporting pedigree that the school had and um yeah, it was, it was through that. So Martin Pepper, who's, who's still there, he's now deputy head, was the um, was the rugby coach, or kind of oversaw the rugby program, um, and kind of just yeah came through playing all the all the different age groups at school and played for the, the first team from year eleven through in the first two six form years, and it probably wasn't until. I don't know, maybe sort of under 16, uh, making kind of North England and starting to then get those representative honours that you think actually it might be might be an opportunity to to make a career out of this. And I actually ended up nearly signing for Gloucester, which was um, a strange thing. As a so I did a pre-season with them as a 16-year-old. So I, I was quite good friends with with Ryan Lamb, 
um, who I played under 19s, uh, yeah, under 18s, 16s, 18s, and then up through to 19s with. Um, so he'd he'd got me down to to Gloucester. So I ended up doing a pre-season with their with their first team as like a 15 or 16 year old. Um, because at that time there wasn't necessarily that much interest from from the Falcons to to get me involved. Um, it wasn't until about I think it was a couple of weeks actually before my first game for the for the club against London Irish. I played um, for the Sevens. We went up to the it must have been Melrose or one of the Border Sevens tournaments with John Fletcher was running that with Pete Walton um, and there was the likes of myself Lee Dixon. I was going to say Jeff Parling, but he definitely wouldn't have been in the sevens team. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that sort of group, maybe Toby Flood was involved with that as well. And I then kind of, I sort of played played in that, and that that conversation had gone from that day that Rob Andrews, director of rugby at the time, was thinking of um, just getting me warming up with the team, just to sort of be in and around and part of it, and kind of uh, savour that experience of, of doing that to then actually I think he's going to put you on the bench and then that went from you're on the bench to actually you're going to you're going to start against London Irish and it was I think it was the final final game of the 03 or 04 season I can't remember um, but I'd, I'd been down probably the week before that and then a couple of sessions with Blackie and, and Johnny down at Darsley Park which was the I don't know whether the club still uses it. Is the, the it used to be the Newcastle United indoor training um, venue down there? So obviously it's like a seventeen-year-old still at school, getting down, doing a session with Blackie, who was a legend in his own right, alongside uh, alongside Johnny. I think it was all part of the, the the master plan to stop me going down to Gloucester and to, to join the club. So um, yeah, then I, I then played in that that London Irish game and. Uh, Obviously, gone quite well and uh, managed to score a try in that, which I can yeah, still vividly, vividly remember all these, all these years later. But it was yeah, travelling up that week, and I was in the middle of my middle of my A levels, um, sort of in between doing revision for my A levels, going up and thinking, okay, he really did a captain's run and maybe his one training session um, with the team, and then just turned up and played on the on the Saturday against London Irish. Unfortunately, it was a it was a nice sunny day. And, and, and what's that kind of like? Because you, you've went from kind of the under nineteen World Cup, which was a few months before, to to getting your contract and then going straight in the team. And you know, a, a lot of the you know the players and the fans won't have known who you were or, or, or what you were about. So, so what's that like? It was just really weird because I, I sort of was a grew up a, a Falcons fan and obviously still follow the club really closely. But used to go through with Alex and, and my dad, and we were, we. Be there watching games when the don't even know which stand it is now. Which is the which is the covered the covered end stand? Is that the south stand? South stand, yeah. South stand, yeah. When the south stand was just concrete steps, so we and it was the temporary temporary stand where the main stand is. So yeah, we were we were fans, and I'd grown up kind of supporting and, and watching the club, and and to of yeah, get the first the chance to train with with Johnny, who was the most famous rugby player in the world at that time a few months after um, after the World Cup and I remember turning up to the training session and sort of talking to Hugh Vivian um, I'm trying to remember the South African back with Warren, Warren Brits I think I just mm-hmm. remember him um, and obviously Nooney and, 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 and Tom May and, and those guys and yeah just turning up and Dave Walder them kind of walking me through the, the, the calls I, I don't recall us having too many calls at that time Um and it was, it, was, it was just really strange having gone from yeah, so been been a supporter to then been uh, been on the pitch, and I'm, I'm guessing yeah, not many of the fans necessarily knew a huge amount of, around who, who who I was. But it was um, yeah, I was just kind of like callow youth. I think I was about 79 kilos when I made my debut um, on the wing, which yeah, I'm not, not sure I'd survive in today's game at that weight, to be honest. <laughs> But uh, like you say, things went well. You scored a try, and as as we approach the next season, you're uh, you're pretty much in the team full time, and uh, you get you get called up to the to the England squad just for training initially. Is that right? 
Yeah, so actually, I started the, the, the next season. I was in the second team for, uh, I think, a couple of fixtures, a couple of A-League fixtures at the start of the, the season. I remember playing against Northampton Saints. Um, it was one of those first A-League games and getting just completely smashed by uh, by Sean Lamont. It was almost like, uh, it was, the first game was almost like the the honeymoon and this was the reality of what professional rugby was. I think he wanted to prove a point, so he managed to sit me down, sit me down a few times. And I was just quite fortunate, to be honest, well, fortunately for me that Michael Stevenson uh, got injured um, and I was kind of next in line to, to get a shot. Um, I can't remember who that, I think it was against Newport, actually, Grant Dragons down at um, the nice rainy Rodney Parade. Yes. Um, it was the next fixture I was I was involved with, and I think I gave a decent account of myself. And then was, was sort of then in the yeah, in the team from from that point in. And we played a couple of big European games against Perpignan at home. Um, who else did we have in our group? I'm trying to think. Another Perpignan Newport. That was uh, that was the year that you went to the quarters. So was it Edinburgh? I think might have been Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah I was in, I was yeah, I was involved in all of that. And then there was a it was kind of I say initiative. It was a it was the RFU the the National Academy. So I was involved in in that, which is kind of under Brian Ashton's tutelage. And then the next part of that was it was like a the early early version of a little bit like Eddie Jones does now, where you bring in younger players. There was a group of about five or six of us, I think. So myself, Tom Reese. Gosh, just testing my memory now. Um, Clive Stewart Smith, remember the scrum half? Um, he was involved in that as well. So we, we were just kind of training, training with with that squad. And again, it was just really surreal for me that I think one of the first camps we had was at, at Loughborough. I'm sure there's a picture of me knocking knocking about with a shaved head and a dodgy all-in-one Adidas tracksuit um, <laughs> with with Nooney. Um, and actually, God, I'm bouncing around. You're testing my memory, but prior to that, I'd played on the sevens as well. So I'd been involved um, with the England sevens, Dubai and and George in South Africa, and and that had kind of gone gone reasonably well. And that I think had subsequently led to the call up to the England's kind of training squad, if you like, um, and then we had a yeah, training camp at Loughborough, and again, similar to what happened with the, the Newcastle conversation, it had gone to oh, we're going to keep you involved in a kind of reduced squad. To I uh, was thinking of starting you on the bench. To how do you feel about starting? Um, and that was yeah, that was sort of a, yeah, interesting conversations, and um, obviously the, uh, and- the debut before we go to play. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, I mean, as an eighteen-year-old kid, um, people tend to think that you know, young kids just just take things in their stride. But was was there ever a point where you kind of thought to yourself, in these little quiet moments, that that things were maybe going a bit too fast, or, or were you just excited by the whole thing? I was probably just a bit naive to it all, to be honest. And and kind of up to that point, it's sort of always been of the bit of the mentality that I'd worked hard and trained hard and was was playing well, and it just it just seemed like the kind of the, the natural progression of, of what I'd wanted and what I'd always worked towards. Um, and to that point, I hadn't, mess- hadn't really then had any, any significant, I guess, setbacks. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I was, I was also probably naive to, this sounds ridiculous now, having been involved in a few of them, but how big an occasion it was and actually yeah. how kind of part of it is going to Cardiff for a test match. England were, I was in 2005, so it's been or were current world champions at that point, albeit on a bit of a decline. Um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't probably till the night before the game I'd started to get some some proper nerves, mm-hmm. um, just because it was. I think yeah, I think that was just at the point that it kind of dawned on me what was what was kind of going on to a certain extent, and. Um, yeah, it was. It was almost. It was the whole day was was written in the stars a little bit for Wales and for for Gavin Hansen as well because he obviously went on to kick the the winning, the winning penalty from about fifty meters um, on the back of, of giving, giving me a relatively <laughs> relatively hard time as well. So it was. Yeah, it was. It was a challenging day and it was more post the post the occasion really that it was 
it was tough. I remember walking back to my mum and dad's car and some delightful person in Cardiff had smashed their, their back windscreen out. So we ended up wow. driving driving back to the Midlands with um, to my auntie who lives in the Midlands with the, the back windscreen kind of taped up with a with a bin that's, bag. It was kind of like <laughs> the ultimate kind of uh, the, the crowning cherry. It was on the. It was just yeah, round, rounding off a, a difficult day, but it was the bit, bit I found probably more difficult was I'd been good enough for one week <laughs> to then not just be dropped out, dropped from the starting fifteen to be coming completely out of the the match day twenty three. Um, the following week we played against France, um, and you know I, as a player you understand that a coach does what he does for the for the best of the team, and no player is 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 bigger than that and I completely get and agree with that and the decisions that Andy Robinson made were well in hindsight he made the right <laughs> he made the right decision because they beat France at Twickenham the following week but it was difficult for me just yeah, being in one week being out of the next week with everything kind of the build-up and the hype that had gone before and I was actually made to stay down with England to watch the game which was just the worst thing yeah we were sat in a box behind at Twickenham behind um, one of the posts, just watching the game with one of the coaches. It was just like I'd, I don't want to be anywhere else, kind of, but here at this moment in time. And there's also the tradition with England that you have to sing after your first cap, you sing a song. And I had to do do mine on um, on a Tuesday night in a Chinese restaurant in the middle of like, his bag shop or somewhere like that, having just been told that I'd uh, I'd been completely dropped from the from the twenty three. So it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not great. Anyway, so it was a bit somber to say the least. What song did you pick? I actually can't remember. It'd have been a cop out. <laughs> it's um, it, it, it's interesting because um, like I'm I'm Irish and I, I was only 15 when that game was played, and uh, the Irish like rugby media were quite sympathetic to your cause. Um, and in in England, you know, it, it seemed the complete opposite. It seemed like you were kind of thrown under the bus a little bit. Is is that what it seemed like to you at the time? I think it's just an it's an ing, very English media thing as well is to build people up to put them on a pedestal to be able to to kind of knock them down and you know I'm I'm, I'm part of me is just very grateful that this was all before the the social media world um, because I think for, for kids and players coming through now to probably have to go through something like that is bad enough of it just being in in print press but to have that and all the all the keyboard warriors on social media as well. I think would be, would have been uh, would have been doubly difficult. But you know, probably in, in hindsight, with um, with the wisdom of age, I can look back on that and actually you know that was just part of part of my rugby journey. And if, if that had gone differently, I probably wouldn't have been involved then with the sevens again in two thousand and six, where we went to Commonwealth Games and and, and yeah. went Hong Kong and, and played and played in all of that. So you kind of yeah to be a, be a little bit philosophical about it. And actually the, those trips on the on the sevens where where Rob um and, and Blackie had the foresight to be like, look, you need to go away and not, not, not refine your love for it, but just kind of go back to playing the game for the reasons you play it, which is the kind of taking people on one on one and um, using your individual skill, which is what the sevens kind of gives you. Um, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have had the opportunity, and, that, and the, the, that, that particular tour is one of the fondest memories I take from my my kind of entire career. Was the was that Commonwealth Games trip, and yeah, we did yeah, we did a week in Gold Coast, and then the Com Games up to Hong Kong with a week of you know, training in inverted commas um, in Bali, um, and then to 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 Singapore as well. So, um, yeah, he's kind of going to be a bit philosophical about it. Yeah, and I mean, well, people tend to have short memories about these things because uh, people forget that Johnny Wilkinson's first England start, he lost 76-0 against Australia. So yeah. it, uh, it could always be worse. Yeah, it could. And he, he, went, he went on to have a decent career. So. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're right. The media can be very, very funny sometimes. But... Um, like you say, you, you got that chance to go away with the the, the sevens to the Commonwealth Games, and then finally you're you're back in the England 50, the uh, the fifteens game um, the following summer against Australia. So, so how did it feel to get back in the squad? Uh, again, it was just it was just relief to to be, to be back involved in it again. And you know, unfortunately, we went away to Australia and had a pretty 
a pretty tough time down down there um, in the two tests, and I sort of got messed messed around position wise uh, with Nooney actually when we were down there. So um, of the two tests, I think I started one in the centre. I don't know whether Nooney played the first one and then the second test. Nooney was in the centre, defending in the centre. And then I was attacking on the wing or defending on the wing. It was all just really bizarre and kind of a hodgepodge. Um, but it was, you know, it was nice. It was nice to be back involved. And um, again, it was uh, another one. Chalk it up to to, to learning the uh, the international game. Yeah, and and obviously you made an impression because you stayed in the team right through to to the World Cup. And and at that time, even even though you've been in the you know in and out of the team for a while. You're still the youngest player in that squad. So, so how did you feel when you're named in the squad to go to the 2007 World Cup? Again, just really proud. I remember I was, I was sat up in a, a pub. I'm can't remember. Is there a pub called the Badger near the airport? Yes, very good pub as well. Yeah, I was having, I was having Sunday lunch there with my girlfriend, now wife, um, and yeah, received a. I think it was a phone call initially or a text message just to say that. You know, I was going to be involved in the squad, so it was yeah. Obviously, th- we were delighted. I mean, we'd gone through a kind of a World Cup training camp, one of the kind of army camps that you you do, and um, I played all right in in, in the warm up games against Wales. I was on the bench for one of the French games, um, and, and and performed reasonably well in those. And we'd, I mean, we, again, we'd gone in '07 on tour to South Africa. <laughs> which was which wasn't the most enjoyable of tours again, and certainly in terms of the uh, the outcome on the rugby side. But it was just a great tour. Um, I, mean, I, had, I had a great time away with Nooney, Johnny, and Floody. It was kind of that Newcastle crew. We had a, yeah, everything apart from the rugby was great. Um, <laughs> and I, and I, to be honest, I'd, I'd played from memory reasonably well um, in the two in the two test matches. So I was. Yeah, just just pleased. Then that kind of warranted selection in that, that two thousand and seven squad, and um, yeah, for what was quite a quite an experienced, experienced team. Really, it was there was a good core of, that was left over from two thousand and three with um, some some exciting younger players at the time. And myself and, and, and Tom Reese were were in in that squad, and, and Toby. I think Toby got called up late because unfortunately Nooney. Um, in the USA game, I think that quite badly hurt his ankle. So his, yeah. um, his, his kind of tournament was 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 over before it had really started, which was a great shame for him because he was someone that was a, a massive help to me, me at the club, and he you know, worked his socks off to get get involved in that squad to see it cut short after. I'm sure it was the first or second game was was disappointing for him. And I just want to ask a quick question about the uh, the first group game against South Africa because we had um, we previously we've had Matt Burke on the podcast with us, yeah. and um, he, he told us the phone call he received from you. Uh, it was either the night before the game or a few nights before the game, just looking for looking for some fullback advice. <laughs> he's got a better he's got a better memory than me. Um, yeah, well, because I it had been spoken about because I was in the squad as a centre, but I think at that time Jason was either struggling with Robinson, sorry, was struggling with a hamstring, a couple of niggling injuries. So I was kind of gone from being an out and out centre to then covering being the utility back, if you like, which was something that a tag that <laughs> remained mine for the majority of my career. But yeah, I mean. It makes sense. I would have, I would have called, I would have called Berkey. He was, he was a, again someone that was a massive help for myself as a young player at Newcastle. They couldn't have done more to, to help the younger group that we, that we had up, had up at the club at the time. I think he quite enjoyed hanging around with the younger guys as well because it kept him, kept him youthful. And he liked to, like to hear all the stories about what was, what was going on. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd have yeah, called him just to pick his brains really on. He'll have played against South Africa a number of times, and yeah, there wouldn't have been anyone anyone better to to kind of listen to around the, the more intricate details of hold up play. Yeah, and uh, obviously that that first game, like, I think the whole team had a tough day at the office, but um, everything kind of improved from there, and you eventually get through the group stage, and then you get to the knockouts. And what like, what are you thinking when you get to the knockouts? Are you thinking we can do this, or, or are you just taking it kind of one game at a time? <laughs> 
Well, on the, on the back of, I think it was 36 0, we lost to South Africa. So I was on the, I was on the bench for that. I only think I only came in for about 10 or 15 minutes at the end. Um, and then we played Tonga, I think, the next week, which kind of then got us through into the into the knockouts. I mean, we travelled from Paris down to Marseille for the Australia game, and the Aussies were pretty good. And if you look at the quality of their side, it was, I think Gregan was at nine. I think Larkham got injured, so they had to play Gitto at 10. But I mean, they still had Takiri, um, a young Adam Ashley Cooper in the back line. Sure, Matt Rogers was involved in there in there somewhere. So it was just just a, like a really good team. And we travelled down so from Paris to Marseille, and there was there was there was uh, senior players getting I remember getting shirts signed. Um, yeah, basically, because I, I don't think that we're necessarily that um, optimistic about our chances. Um, I do remember one player who I won't name saying. You know, talking to his daughter on the phone saying that don't worry daddy's going to be back home on Tuesday <laughs> so it was kind of obviously you never go into games at that level thinking you're going to you're going to lose and sort of, as I've alluded to before we were really blessed within that squad whilst we might not necessarily have played the most attractive rugby we had we had a Johnny at 10 and the team was littered with players with vast experience from 2003, but who were also captains um, for their for kind of their club their club sides. Um, so it was a team that knew how to win games. Um, mm-hmm. And you know we were very fortunate that day that Andy Sheridan had the had the kind of the better of I think, Matt Dunning in the that Australian scrum, and uh, unfortunately Mort, uh, Sterling Mortlock missed a, a long range kick late on for us to, to win and and then it was almost like our, it was stars were aligning for us because we left the ground and drove down to Marseille Harbour and as we got there everyone was going nuts saying that the you know the, the, the French are, are beating New Zealand in, 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 in Wales at the Millennium and we were like no nah, can't be right can't be right and just lo, lo, lo and behold that they were so um, yeah certainly it gave us it gave us a boost because up to that point, I think the Kiwis had been just unbelievable, <laughs> and and we'd beaten we'd beaten the French already that year in in the warm up games. So mm-hmm. from from a kind of squad point of view, it gave us the belief that we could we could even going back up to to Paris in a World Cup semi final that we 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 had the the better of them. Yeah, and then um, I, I remember watching the game. It was a pretty minging game from memory, but. I don't think that really matters when you make it through to the final. No, I think we scored early doors. Josh Lucy, uh, so Damien Try, Andy Gummersall kicked a, a box kick, I think, from about the halfway line. Um, and it was more of like a flipper bouncing box kick than at the high box kick. And Damien Try was at fullback for the French that day, let it bounce and had a bit of a bit of a nightmare, which let Josh Lucy score. Um, I'm not sure we actually scored after that, but Johnny, I think Johnny put over a couple of drop goals. And then we just, yeah, we, so we, we had players that knew how to win those tight games. And um, yeah, just, just the, this kind of unbelievable, amazing feeling to win a semi-final and get to a World Cup, um, get to a World Cup final. Almost and then, all the odds. And then you come up against South Africa again. So like, how do you prepare like, mentally to play a team that's already beaten you and, and beaten you fairly comprehensively in the tournament already? I think we were we were at a slightly different spot by the end of it. We'd we'd worked out what our what our strengths were and how we needed to play. Um, I think South Africa had, had I think we were undefeated to that to that point and had looked alongside New Zealand the kind of red hot um, red hot favourites. And Brian Habana finished at top try scorer in the tournament as well. So he was he was on a on a, on a hot streak. And but look, we even going into the final we. It was it's a one-off game, and it's very much a cliche. But kind of one-off games, and anything can happen. And um, we all said the Mark Quato try that was disallowed, rightly or wrongly, depending on um, whether you're South African or English. And that was kind of that was our moment. It could have gone our way, and it and it and it didn't. Um, it might, it, who knows? It might have changed. It, it might change the outcome. It might might have not. I think in in hindsight. South Africa with a with a better team throughout the tournament and the better team on that night and, and fully deserved to deserve to win it. 
just when you when you made that break, when you made that line break, did you think you were going to make it? Could you see the try line just getting closer and closer and closer? Um, I didn't at the time think I was necessarily going to make it. I just it was all just a bit of a blur because there was a bounce. I think Andy Gummercall had thrown a, a bit of a pie out that had bounced in front of me, and I just you just instinctively pick it up and try and beat whoever's in front of you. Unfortunately for me, I, I kind of got through that first line, and then it, you're just into to autopilot. So I can't even remember. I think it was J.P. Peterson or Obama or Montgomery, whoever was at the back for them. I, I don't remember any of kind of stepping them or anything like that. I, I remember <laughs> being sort of semi-conscious just short of the line because I, as I got tackled by a victim Matfield, Schaltberger then dived in over the top and basically just need, need me in the head. Um, so I was, yeah, just I just remember being in this kind of semi-daze trying to push the ball back. Uh, to get quick ball, um, which yeah, you know wasn't wasn't quite quick enough, as it turns out. Um, but I, no, I don't remember a huge amount. Of, obviously, I've watched it back subsequently, but I don't remember a huge amount about the run itself, other than it's just the instinct that kicks in. And uh, you, you mentioned obviously about the nerves um, in, in the build-up to the Wales game on your debut. Like, what what are the nerves like for a World Cup final, knowing you know the sheer number of people that are going to be watching? <laughs> you try not to think about it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, at that point, I was very nervous. And the, the French like to have evening kickoffs as well. So we'd had quite a few of them through the World Cup. So I'd managed to get a, a kind of a bit of a routine where I'd, I'd go out and distra- distract myself as much as I could in the morning. Um, so my my wife um, would come over and I'd sort of spend uh, some time with her just to distract yourself as much as possible because you end up burning so much nervous energy by the time you get to the game that you're almost <laughs> you're almost useless until um until you get that kind of first bit of action um within within the actual game so yeah i just used to try and distract myself i've got a bit of a well, I used to when i was playing i have a bit of a weird habit where i'd sit down and listen to the sound of running water help me relax which was a bit of a, an, an oddity of mine um so yeah i just remember doing that all day trying not to not to think about the fact that I was about to play in a World Cup final, which is, yeah, it's quite tricky to say the least. I can imagine. But if we uh, if we go back to the um, the kind of club side of things, while all this great stuff is happening for you at international level, the Falcons are kind of in decline a little bit. They've gone from like an upper mid-table team to to scrabbling in the lower half, and um, eventually 2008 rolls around, and you decide to move to Seal. So what was what was the main reason for your you know deciding to move at that point um it was just prior to that i i there was a group of younger players myself toby trying to think who else that actually we'd, we'd agreed contracts to stay um and with 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 fletch who was obviously coach at the time and the circumstances around fletch's involvement had, had, had changed and it just yeah it just felt as if that was sort of the right time then to go elsewhere. And I had the opportunity to move to, to, move to sale um, at that point in 2008. I'd met uh, Philippe San André and um, they were, or they, I think they won the title the previous season, maybe the season before that. And they were building a squad that was, you know, I was, ex- I was excited to be a part of. So there was um, you know, Luke McAllister, Rory Lamont was there. Andy Sheridan, Juan Lobe, Wayne Peel signed the same time as me. Um, so they were they were looking to kind of consolidate themselves as a as a top four team. Um, so I was I was kind of really excited to, to to move down there, and it was the first time you know I'd, I'd I'd been away from the northeast as well, and it just felt like it was it was almost the the, the right the right next progression as well um, to move down there. Sort of, ironically, my first game back for the first game for Dale was Newcastle at Newcastle, um, which was a bit of a strange one. Walking straight back up to, to Kingston Park, having just left and going into the away changing room rather than the home changing room. So, um, yeah, I'd, uh, I mean, I, you know, the other thing that was 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 interesting about the the sale move was after that first end of that first year, Philippe moved up, moved back to France and. Was subsequently a mass exodus at, at sale as well. So 
they went from being a kind of top top three, four, five side to fighting relegation for the remainder of the couple of years that I was there. Yeah, I remember the um the uh, the 2009 to 2010 season. I think it was because I had a roommate at uni who was a seal fan, and I think you just survived on the last day of the season. Um, because yeah, he, he was petrified the seal were going to go down. Yeah, we played Worcester, I think, at Edgley Park. Um, and it was basically the winner, winner stays up, um, was, was the fixture. And yeah, fortunately for us, it was a home game. And actually, from memory, it ended up not really being too much of a contest and, and we stayed up. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a difficult season. And I, I mean, I, I went down there and it was, had a bit of a frustrating time anyway, just with, with injuries. And I, um, I had a few issues with my back and a, a, a knee cartilage and just lots of niggling little little bits that just never I never felt as if I got into my, my my stride down there over the two and a half three seasons that I played for the club. Um, got some really really fond memories of, of kind of the sale and the Man- Manchester area, but in terms of on the playing side, it was um, it was just really frustrating. And I, I mean, I was as frustrated for. For the for the club as anything else because they they sort of worked quite hard to, to get me down there and it just hadn't been as successful for either them or me as yeah um, as we kind of hoped and I my my last game for for the club was I'd basically agreed to to join Leicester the day the, the day before we played uh, Satranza El Salvador uh, in, the, uh, in the in the Challenge Cup over in uh, over in Spain and I dislocated my shoulder and. Um, you know, then it was Steve Diamond had just come in and taken over from. Oh, I've forgotten who's in charge at the time. Actually, it was a uh, Mike Brewer. It was a uh, it was a Kiwi back rower who was in charge, and yeah, so I did get my shoulder. We then came to an agreement with with Sale and, and Leicester that I would then start to to travel down to to Leicester and be down there four days a week and, and kind of just do my do my rehab down there because I wasn't going to be fit for sale for the remainder of the year and, and Leicester were quite keen to to kind of uh, get get a look on get a look on me and, and get me into the kind of physical shape that that they wanted and um it, it must be great for you personally to go to Leicester because you, you've been at obviously Falcons and Sale but they were two teams that weren't really competing at the time, you know, for titles and, and trophies and stuff like that. Whereas Leicester were still at that point heavily involved in the title picture every season. They were going for the Heineken Cup every season. So what's it like moving into that team where you're almost expected to win every week? Yeah, and that was it was it was a big motivation for going down there. So I, I was I went down there on a lot less in terms of the financial side of things because I wanted to be in a team that was going to win. I, you know, I'd been at Newcastle, I'd been at Sale. I unfortunately hadn't managed to win anything and I wanted to go to a club that was going to, as you said, be in, be in with a shot of winning things and, and Leicester at that time were were shoe-ins for, for the top four. It was just whether it was going to be first or second, basically. And um, the it was just it was just a feel about the place when I first arrived, the, the expectation... Um, it, was just, it was just the expectation that struck me. It was just very different to anywhere I'd been before. It was every, everything was about winning. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it was a place that was kind of uncompromising in its, in its, in its desire for that really. And, uh, you know, I knew, I knew Toby was there at the time and obviously I knew Jeff, Jeff Parling really well. Ben Woods was there as well. So I had um, the chance to, speak to them before before I'd signed and it obviously helped having them them down there when I um when I moved moved down just to introduce me to, to all the players and to get to get to know everybody because you go from I played against Leicester that season for sale so it was just a bit strange that a few months later I'm kind of there as a as a as a teammate and um and I very much Leicester is very high, hierarchical, so I was even though I'd been capped, I was I was in the there was kind of a, a big dogs and the rest changing room, so I was in the rest changing room, um, which is yeah, pa- everyone's packed into this tiny little changing room with no there's no natural light or anything. It's just kind of part of the 
part, part of the process of the club at, at that time that it was uh, yeah you, just, you, know, you, you did your time and you earned your stripes and um you know yeah just i just just i was i was really really pleased and felt privileged to to, to have moved to, to the club at that point and it, it didn't take long for you to get your uh your hands on your first premiership trophy it was 2013 and it was the uh it was the mad final where Dylan Hartley was was sent off. So, so what are your memories of that game? Yeah, I mean that season was just great from a personal perspective because I, I so I'd, I'd turned up injured from Sale, and I'd, I'd worked my behind off that preseason, and I I think I was actually probably in the best physical shape I'd possibly ever been in. And then before the first game of the season against Exeter, I had this massive kind of pop in my groin. Um, and I ended up with something called osteitis pubis, which is essentially chronic inflammation of the pubic bone. Um, and I tried to play with it stupidly um, for a few games and ended up writing myself off for about 15 months. So I'd actually turned up at Leicester and they didn't really see a huge amount of me for the first 12, 15 months that I was there. Um, so that season, the, the 12, 13 season, where we went on to win the, in the Premiership was just—it was just a huge relief, as much as anything else for me, that I'd been able to repay the club's faith in me. I'd been able to be a, kind of a regular in that team throughout the season, and really contributed to the success of the team that season. Um, and then to have to go on to—we you know, we beat Harlequins in the semi-final at home, pretty convincingly, and then to go and play play your your arch rivals at Twickenham glorious day and to win in the, in the manner that we did was just yeah it was just an, an amazing an amazing feeling it was and it was you know ultimately the decision was to move there was vindicated um because it was to go and, and go and win trophies absolutely and um kind of on the back of that season when you're back in your team you're playing well you you're winning trophies with the club does an england recall start to enter your mind i think when you when you're playing well you're always um hopeful I think, uh, you know, I, my last my last Test match for England was 2010. And subsequent to that, I, you know, I'd bounced around different positions. I'd signed at Leicester as a, as a sort of replacement for Geordie Murphy. So I'd almost changed from being the 13 to, to a 15. And at that time, there were lots of very good 15s knocking about. Mike Brown was obviously getting the recognition he deserved. Ben Foden was around at the time, and Alex Good was coming on the scene. So these guys, these were guys that had been in and around an established setup whilst I'd been mm-hmm. injured and absent, and I'd had opportunities whilst um, yeah, I'm sure it was Stuart Lancaster was in charge to to be back involved. So I'd been called up to the, the Saxons or the second string um, to to play for them as as kind of that almost first step of trying to be back involved and I had positive conversations with the, the kind of the England coaching staff but every time I was on the cusp of doing it I'd, I'd end up just with stupid niggly little injuries so I'd prior to playing against I think it was the Wolfhounds actually I'd, I'd got a really bad back spasm um, against Ulster in the Champions Cup at Welford Road which set me out for a couple of weeks so every time there was sort of building momentum to get back involved on that international front it just um yeah, it was almost like it wasn't it wasn't meant to be. Um, but aside from that, things are still going well for Leicester. I mean, you you win that title, and then you go on this run where Leicester are essentially making the semi-finals every year. Um, and you you lost some really narrow games. I remember one against Northampton. You lost late yeah. on, um, yeah. which 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 must have been a heartbreaker. But yeah, yeah, I remember I remember that one so vividly. It was. Because we were actually beating them really comfortably in the first half, um, and yeah, we ju- we just sort of capitulated last twenty five minutes. And I think it was you're right. Tom Wood scored in the left hand corner, um, and I think it was literally the last play of the game to win it for them. And uh, what was it like, just you know, as a team when you're going through that run of semi finals, but you can't quite get past that stage. Just really frustrating, and actually, it's sort of a yeah lesson taken now. Now I've retired, that you you almost take them for granted. It was always, I'm sure there's players at Leicester now who kind of look back and having taken those 
those top four finishes for granted that, you know, it was, yeah, next year we'll be fine. Next year we'll, we'll get another chance. And yeah, eventually for Leicester, they haven't had a few chances for a few years now. And um, yeah, it's, it's, to lose a semi-final is it's just heartbreaking because it's the premiership season is so demanding um, and to, to make it into that top four, to get into the semi-final, to then lose it is just, yeah, it's just very, very frustrating. And I, and to, I mean, to be, to be fair, the, the semi-finals we lost, I think, were always always away. Um, so you you kind of always always up against it in terms of the, the stats of showing who, who wins those semi-finals, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't take away detract from the disappointment of losing them. Absolutely, because. Um... I remember. I think this was 2016 as well. You were you were very close to the Heineken Cup final, um, but it was it was Racing, wasn't it? Beat you in the semi final. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and I was I was really lucky that year that um, lucky Tom Tom Young's um, his captain got injured, and um, I was very fortunate to have been made captain for a significant portion of that year. So I was. Yeah, we beat Stade Francais convincingly in the quarters. Um, at Welford Road, and then we went to play Racing up at uh, Nottingham Forest, um, and we had had loads of opportunities, to be honest, to to win that to win that game, despite the, the star-studded team that they had at the time. Dan Carter played for them. Uh, Joe Rock Coco was was knocking about, and obviously got a, a fairly fairly substantial French pack as well. And yeah, we, we just lost out, but we, we had opportunities in that. We were almost our own our own worst enemies. So. But it's again, it's another classic case of you know we've made the semi-final this year. We'll get personally, it's like you know we'll get another chance next year, and and we didn't, and there were lots of lots of changes, almost following, sorry, following from that result. But kind of over the next six months post that result, Aaron Major, well Richard Cockrell left, and then Aaron Major left, and there's just there was a bit of a, a bit of an overhaul of, um, of of the club over that kind of next six twelve month period. Yeah. But you, you still managed to get a little bit of success the following season. I remember you lifted the um, the Anglo Welsh Cup. I think you were captain that day as well. Yeah, and I was. Yeah, again, I really looked to, to have captain captain side, and yeah, we beat Exeter um, in, in the final at, at the Stoop. Um, I think I actually think I was, was <laughs> I missed a tackle on uh, I can't remember the uh, short the winger for Exeter, which gave them gave them their try, which was. Uh, very captainly of me, but um, you know we had it was a it wasn't necessarily the, the the first choice Leicester team, but we had some some really good kind of younger players who really put their, their, their hands up during that LV campaign, and particularly the, the semi final and the final, the likes of Harry Thacker, who's now going going down to Bristol and, and, and doing great things. Owen Williams, um, pretty sure played at played at ten for us that day. Don Barrow, who's obviously ex Newcastle, was mm-hmm. um, Leicester for a period of time. Um, all played really well in that game, and yeah, we, we, were, we had to hold them out for a significant period of time towards the end, the end of the game, as they do in typical ex the fashion. But uh, it was yeah, for me personally, it was a it was a really nice kind of milestone to to lift my, my first trophy as, as captain of, of the side. Absolutely, and. Um... Talk to me a little bit about uh, Bayonne because you you had a move agreed to France, which which then didn't happen. So so, so what happened there? Dude, I'm trying to remember what season that was. 2016, 17, maybe. Um, yeah. So I'd as as rugby contracts go, you basically you you can start discussing renewing contracts with with clubs, um, or with your current club pre pre January basically, and Leicester had had said to me that there wasn't a, a contract or there wasn't going to be a contract there. And I just said that I was going to look and explore other options. And uh, Bayonne uh, was one of those options. And myself and my wife went down to to the Atlantic coast uh, in France and, and had, a, had a couple of trips down there and uh, met the coach. I was Patricio Noriega um, at the time and kind of met with their uh, Got wind, wind and dined as you kind of as you kind of do. It was actually uh, Nooney was was acting um, as as agent on on, on the deal because he's a mm-hmm. French at the moment. And um, yeah, it all it all been signed and you know pre contracts were everything was agreed. And then 
we had our second child and um, he had some some issues with with his stomach basically reflux and, and all sorts and my wife was having a, a pretty tough time post post the birth um so it was we kind of then began to explore options that actually it might not be the real thing to be trying to trying to move with a newborn who's not particularly well and a wife who's who was struggling so we then Begun conversations with Leicester around staying. Their stance had, had changed at that point, and they were quite keen to to keep me. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, everything sort of kind of worked out that way. It was it was it was it was disappointing that, that it kind of was the case. I was, I was really looking forward to potentially seeing what life was like in in, in France, and this is a beautiful part of the world. Um, you know, subsequently, Bayon had, had got got relegated um which should also made everything not avoid if you like in terms of in terms of contracts so in terms of all yeah in line with all the, the different personal things that were going on it just uh, it kind of wasn't wasn't meant to be yeah we've had uh we've had jimmy noon and tom may on the podcast with us before and they, they both talk you know so highly of their experiences in france and like you say jimmy's still out there now he's, he's never left no, so, uh, yeah, it still, seems to be a great place. Yeah, no, but you know, sort of sliding doors moments. Part of me wonders, you know, if we, if we had been able to go, what it would have been, what it would have been like. And uh, yeah, Nuni spoke, if you say Nuni spoke so positively about it. Tom May, when I've seen him, has spoken positively about it. And just to experience a different part of the world, you know, France in its in its own right is different. But I think that kind of Basque, Basque region, Beer, it's Bayonne is again a kind of different and unique entity in its own right but uh you know yeah it is it is what it is to a certain extent and then we come to um the moment that most athletes dread uh the, the moment of retirement so so when did it hit you when did you decide that you were going to hang up the boots and you were finished um it was sort of taken out it was taken out of my hands to be honest i um as with yeah with with all athletes you kind of think you're you're invincible and i'd I've had um, sort of an ongoing Achilles issue that I've been playing for a few, a few years by by that point, and um, the Achilles that was was a little bit sore and was I was sort of managing and never missing any games or any training, but it um, it was it was sore. And we played a preseason game away at uh, Treviso, and I came on and um, yeah, within about a couple of minutes of being on, I had to have this really big pop in my uh, in my Achilles in the back of my around the back of my heel, and tried to play on again, and had this another big pop, and yeah, just yeah, <laughs> I had to sub subbed on and subbed off, and I came off and um, had some scans on it. I had sort of a partial tear in my Achilles, and um, yeah, just I tried to rehab and everything else, and just couldn't just couldn't get fit. So it's yeah, it was it was it was tough. Um, I mean, I'd 15 years of playing at that point. You kind of have to become aware that it's not going to go on, go on forever. And um, you know, I've been very fortunate with my career to have played for the clubs I've played for and played in the, in the events and the stages that I've I've played on. And um, yeah, you kind of got to be got to be got to be grateful for that and and look kind of look forward to exploring what comes next after the bubble of professional sport absolutely um and you you can tell me if this is true or not but i remember speaking to somebody to falcons and uh and i can't remember who this guy was because he wasn't a regular but we, we got to talking about you and he said that you were going to be training to be a pilot after your career is that right is, is that something you've looked at no so i when i um when i lived in sale i got my pilot's license so I got my my single single engine aircraft license while I was living down there and it was it was something I was exploring for a while was looking at that commercial pilot route um that's not on the cards <laughs> on the cards anymore probably a wise decision given the current climate to uh, to not be pursuing yeah. career as a pilot so no he, he he wasn't he wasn't wrong but he wasn't right <laughs> fair enough um and what, what are you looking to do in the long term do you want to do you want to get back involved with rugby at any point? Do you want to do any kind of coaching, or do you want to just stay away from rugby altogether? No, I, 
I did a little bit of coaching with with Leicester in the academy while my last couple of years, and the coaching side wasn't really for me. Um, kind of, you see the hard work that goes in behind the scenes with the with the coaches, and it's sort of a bit of a thankless task, really. And um, I think to to be good at it and be a real successor, you got to got to want to do it and enjoy it. And I did. I to be honest, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I love sport. I love I love rugby, and it's more the the kind of the off-field business and I guess operational management finance side that, that interests me. So um, yeah, I'm just so working on I'm at a placement uh, position at the moment. Um, a company called Oakwell Sports Advisory, which is a, a corporate corporate finance and strategic advisors that work in sport essentially. Um, so I yeah, so started in March and. Um, uh, yeah, working for them on a, on a on a placement basis still at the moment. Um, we'll we'll see whether anything anything further comes of it. But it's it's given me a real interesting insight into lots and lots of different uh, different sports and the kind of the business and commercial and strategic function that, that sits behind them. Excellent. Well, hopefully things continue to go well there. Um, just before we wrap up, um, we tend to finish with our um our ultimate 15. So this is the best 15 you've played with throughout your entire career, all clubs, all international sides. So hopefully you've had a little think about who you want to put in. So, um, so yeah, let's, that, let's dive into that and see what you've got. Yeah. Well, I was trying to do this before when you, you sent, you sent me one as a question and I was struggling, but um, so I was going to go front row of Ayertz, Marcus Ayertza. You know, very fortunate. I played with it at Leicester for a number of years, Tom Young's. And then I was torn between Dan Cole and Carl Heyman. I'm going to have to go Carl Heyman. Oh, that's um, good. That's a good shot. Um, Jeff Parling in the second row. Although this is this is the Leicester Tigers exes of Jeff Parling, Newcastle Jeff Parling. Um, <laughs> alongside Brad Thorne, who I played with for a year at Leicester. Um, oh, no. I forgot he was at Leicester. What a player he was. Yeah, he was, uh, he was all right. He's doing great things at Queensland Reds now by the looks of it as well. Um, Tom Croft at six. Um, I got then one, uh, one lobby. I was going to put him at seven, but I, I was sort of then struggling. I was struggling for an eight. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to come back to my eight when I, in fact, no, I'll put one lobby at eight and I'll go Julian Salvi at seven. Um, I played with him at, uh, at Leicester and he's now the defense coach down at Exeter. Um, and whilst he might not be someone that I've, uh, a lot of people know a lot about, he was very good over the, over the ball. Um, although he's a very annoying Australian. So he'll be my seven. <laughs> one Crofty, uh, Tom Croft at six. And then a back line. I've got Ben Youngs at nine. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson at ten. Yeah. Everybody who plays with Johnny picks Johnny. It's just it's just automatic. Yeah, I mean, he, he was quite good, in fairness to him. Um, <laughs> and then twelves. I mean, I've got to go, I've got to go with Nooney. Um, but I also played with Luke McAllister. So, whereas they can play at half each. Fair and enough. Then, that, that, that's reasonable. And then Manu at 13. Because um, on his day, he's just, um, just ridiculous, untouchable. Unfortunately, he's just yeah, struggled, struggling with, on the injury front. Um, Alessana, Tuolangi on one wing. Uh, Nicky Gonover on the other wing. Um, I think he's he's the best player I've ever seen live, Nicky Gonover. He was just he was just a freak. He was just ridiculous. I mean, we did, he just yeah, he turned up at Leicester and he just looked as if he couldn't be bothered the whole time. And then he would just yeah, absolute absolute magic. He was a bit of a nightmare as a fullback trying to get him to listen to his backfield positioning, but it didn't really matter. He just he gave him <laughs> he gave him the ball and he just did what he did what he did. So, um, and then at fullback, I had yeah, I had Matt, Matt Burke at fullback. Although I did, I should have Jason Robinson as well. I've got three fullbacks. <laughs> I've got Matt Burke, Jordan Murphy, or Jason Robinson. So we'll have to the bent. They can they can fight it out between themselves. Well, they they are three all timers to be fair. So that's a mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. not not a bad bunch to have played with. No, no, no. Very yeah, very privileged to have uh, been able to call those players teammates over the years. And when you look back now, now you've been retired for for a little bit, and, and the dust has kind of settled. What's the kind of one overriding moment, like the, your favourite moment you take away from your career? 
Um, there's not, well, there's probably a, there's a, there's a couple. So there was the sevens. It was early on in my career, 2006, just the, a trip away. It's basically about a month away from from the UK, the Commonwealth Games, the Hong Kong, and the training camps and everything that kind of were in and around that. It was just an amazing, amazing experience. And if you've not done Hong Kong sevens when everything, when the world's back to normal, I, uh, I encourage you to go and stand in the South Stand for a couple of days. Um, and then the, the sad thing is I don't necessarily have that many fond memories of playing for England. <laughs> For the for the for the for the full team, it was obviously really kind of privileged to have played in the played in the World Cup. But I, I almost remember more about enjoyed the the after party more than the actual yeah <laughs> than, than the game. I think because it's because there's so much pressure around it, it's sometimes quite hard to enjoy it. Um, and then certainly on a club level, winning the winning the title with with Leicester in 2013, and actually all of that all of that season, and just been a been a kind of a key key cog if you like in that uh, the success that year was was it was a really fond memory good stuff well hopefully like you say when the world gets back to normal you can make your way up to kingston park and uh, enjoy watching the falcons back in the premiership yeah and no, i'm looking forward to it i have to say yeah it's, um, it's good to see them back in there. absolutely well uh as you know once again thanks very much for coming on the podcast with us it's been great to chat to you and uh I hope things uh, continue to go well for, with your placements and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll speak again soon. Perfect. Thanks for your time, Dan. So that wraps us up for episode 10. Thanks once again to Matthew Tate for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our look back over his fantastic career and please do keep an eye out for our podcasts across Spotify, Apple, YouTube and the Anchor Podcast app as well. You can follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with all of our future podcasts and we will see you guys next time for episode 11.